my wife will come down, and she'll be like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, it's jazz. You know, just, jazz is interesting. Um, but it can be really intimidating for people, too. Uh, a lot of people don't like jazz um, because it can seem a bit chaotic, especially during that time period, the 50s, 60s time period. Uh, you know, musicians just kind of jump in and play whatever they want. Everybody gets a solo, you know, there's drum solo, bass solo, xylophone solo, whatever it is. And it could seem like the piece is just absolute chaos and everything's happening and everybody's doing whatever they want to do. It's a free-for-all. But if you listen closely, if you listen closely, you're going to hear something. You'll discover something interesting. There's something in the background that you have. It usually starts with a hi-hat. Uh, the symbol on the back, you know. And that's like consistent through the whole piece. And then there might be a bass line that's just going, you know. Bomb, bomb, bomb. And then you usually got a guy back there with a Gibson Les Paul hollow body, you know, one of those big classic guitars. And he's just like the rhythm guy. He's just playing the same three or four chords over and over again through the whole piece. Kind of in the background and, and, and what that's called is rhythm. That's the rhythm of the piece. And that rhythm is like a string that runs through the entire piece that keeps everything else together. It, it, it allows all the other musicians in the piece to, to improvise, to express themselves however they want to, but they're still tied into that same rhythm. The key, the tempo, the meter, it's all still there tied into that same rhythm that's happening in the background. That unless you're paying attention, you don't even notice it's there. And, th- and that's, what, that's what makes it jazz. Is that ability to, be impro- to improvise while at the same time holding on to that, that rhythm. Uh, what's interesting about that is that it's similar for us in life. And, and in the life of the church as well. Um, you know, without rhythm in a jazz piece, there'd be absolute chaos. People would play whatever they want to play. Um, we, we did practice a while back, and uh, we accidentally had the wrong sheet music. This was a couple weeks ago, and Cindy was in one key, and I was in another key, and we started playing this song, and it just was a mishmash of mess. And then Jeff jumps in, and he thinks he's playing a different song, and tempo's off, and before you know, it's just bleh. But when the rhythm's there, the musicians aren't fighting against each other. When the rhythm is in our life and in our church, then we don't begin to fight against each other. You know, we all have this desire to do our own thing. It it goes back to like page one of the Bible, to the garden. This desire that we can do our own thing, that we can decide for ourselves what's right or what's wrong. And and if you go through the the Old Testament, you see this wave that keeps happening over and over again. Like for a while, the people of God like get it, and then they just want to do their old thing. I love the end of Judges. Everyone did whatever they felt was right. It falls into absolute chaos. If we do whatever we want, that's what happens. Chaos. However, if there's a rhythm, a rhythm that holds us all together, then we can live our life out, we can live our faith out in community, while at the same time experience the freedom to do whatever God has called us to. To do, to do whatever the God, whatever the Lord leads us to do. If there's a rhythm that holds us together, we have the flexibility to be unique at the same time, and that's jazz. 
That's what jazz looks like in life. We spent the past couple of months talking about the rhythm that, that we feel is supposed to be in this church. The rhythm of this church. How do we express our faith, both inwardly and outwardly? And in June, we began looking at the inward picture. We, we brought that uh, acronym out, MG3. The M was meet, and it brought the question, how are you meeting with God daily? What are you doing to meet with Jesus every day? One-on-one, just you and Him. Are you in your word? Are you praying? What is that uh, the first G was grow. How are you growing in community and faith weekly? What are you doing every week to grow in your faith, to learn, to grow in community with one another? The next G was give. How are you giving back to community monthly? How are you serving? And, and we talked about the to- your time, your talents, your treasures, the whole picture. And then the final G was go. And we asked... As you go, whom did you bless? This is that bridge piece that moves us from being inward to looking outward. How are we living our faith in the world? How are we following Jesus' call and mission in our life? How are we following the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of the world? The acronym that we're using for that outward piece is bless. How do we bless our neighbors? How do we bless our friends? How do we bless the world around us? And last week we looked at that first letter, B. And it was begin with prayer. And we talked about the importance of how everything, how all outreach, how anything we do always needs to start with prayer. And and I gave you guys homework, for those of you who were here last week. I I passed out the little index cards, and I said, write three names. I know a couple of you were a little bit more ambitious than that. And, And you prayed for people, for those three. Anybody have any, anything interesting happen? I heard a, a cool story during prayer of someone who, uh, who had been praying for somebody on that list and thought that the relationship was destroyed and never going to come back to pass. And all of a sudden, uh, the next day, they called out of the blue and then told them that they just got baptized. It's like, mind We always begin with prayer. But, but we don't just always say that. We go to the next step. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, the next letter in bless, which is L for listen. Um, when we had the 24-7, or 24-7, we had the, the prayer and worship night, the community prayer and worship night here, I decided I wanted to do something cool. And I'm geeky. And so I changed all the light bulbs. And all the light bulbs up here, these are smart bulbs. So theoretically, if everything works right, I can pull my phone out, and I can change the color of each one of these light bulbs. I can dim it. I can change the mood. It's really cool. Uh, But when I was hooking it up, um, we started having issues with our Internet. Our Internet started to fail. Like, we got most of these lit, and all of a sudden, Cindy was trying to pull up some sheet music, and she goes, hey, I've got no Internet. What's going on with the Internet? And it was crashing all around us, and I couldn't figure out why. And, And I'm a little techie. I know a little bit about computers and IT, enough to be dangerous, but not enough to actually, like, be good. And so I I started thinking about this, like, what's going on? And I remember in the back of my mind that on your router, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, you have X amount of, I think they're called ports, and, and they're connections that can be made into the router. It's not like infinity, it's just a certain amount. And, and the router we use here, uh, we rent from the internet company. And so I started thinking, I go, I wonder if we maxed out the 
courts with these, what is it, 12 lights that are here, or whatever, whatever lights are here. Uh, I wonder if we maxed out all the ports. And so I did something miraculous. I called the help desk for our, our internet company. And I waited on hold for a while. And then the guy picked up. And, and I was trying to explain to him what our problem was. I said, look, our internet keeps collapsing. It, like, disappears. It fails. And he's checking. He goes, oh, everything looks good on our end. And I go, well, let me tell you what I just did. I go, we're using one of your routers but I got all these smart light bulbs connected to it. And is there like a limit on the amount of ports or connections I can have into the router before we start having issues? And he goes, you got a what? And I go, we got these smart light bulbs. Now, look, this isn't like rocket science. My kids, my daughter and her, uh, her uh, husband, their whole house is like a smart house, right? You walk in and you say something and half the lights turn on and, you know, doors lock and music plays and the computer tells you a joke. It's just, that's how they live. And I think that's how most people are start or younger, the younger generation is starting to live that way. So this didn't seem like out of the ordinary, but he went to me, he goes, what, you got smart light bulbs? He goes, you realize anything you connect to the internet that the Chinese can hack into you and steal all your stuff? And I go, well, I'm not too worried about it because there's like nothing connected to this other than, you know, a couple printers and there's no like data. We don't have servers here at the church. We're just, you know, couple light bulbs. Is it possible we use too much? And he went on for about 30 minutes yelling at me about how stupid I was for getting smart devices. And I'm thinking, you work for the internet company. Wouldn't you want to like encourage this to like up your sales? And it went on and on and he would not answer my question. And I finally just said, okay, I got enough. Thank you. And I hung up and I was aggravated and I was irritated and completely frustrated. Because no matter what I said, he wouldn't listen to me. You ever experience that? You're trying to get help, and no matter what you say, no one will ever listen to you. How about being on the other side? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and have absolutely no idea what that person just said? That ever happened to you? Last night, I need to confess... We were downstairs, Cindy and I were watching TV, and she found something that was interesting that she wanted to explain to me about. I can't tell you what it was because I have no idea what she actually said to me, but she kept talking about it and said, what do you think about that? And I said, ah, interesting. We've all done it. We've all done it. You know we've all done it. We live in a world where hardly anyone ever listens to anyone else anymore. You know, think about social media right now. More people, uh, most people are more interested in what they have to say than what other people are saying. Isn't that true? Author Fran Lieberitz wrote, The opposite of talking is not listening. The opposite of talking is waiting to talk. I mean, we know that's true. You sit in a conversation, and instead of listening to the person, you're trying to formulate how you're going to respond to the person. You're going to try to answer them. You're going to try to one-up them. or That's not so bad. You should see how bad this was for me. We all do it. We all do that. And we all know what it's like to be on the other end of that, the person who's not actually listened to. We live in a society where this is prevalent. 
where people feel unheard. And when we feel unheard, in time, we begin to feel like we're unknown. You ever hear that statement? No one knows the real me. That's coming from a place of being unheard. And when we feel unheard and unknown, we ultimately end up feeling unloved. No one cares. No one hears me. No one sees me. If we want to actually love our neighbors and bless the people that God has placed in our path, we need to become intentional about listening. And that's where the second letter comes from, L. Now, I do coaching, a lot of uh, professional coaching and pastoral coaching. And one thing that I've learned from coaching is that listening is a discipline. It takes work. It takes practice. It's not something that comes easy. You think, you know, I listen all the time. You don't. You think you listen, but you're not. So we have to learn how to listen. And one of the best places people to learn about listening from is Jesus. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today. There's this wonderful story in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. The story goes like this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here, Lord. Uh, Father, as we dig into your word, allow us to hear clearly from you. Lord, remove any distractions. Let your word come into our life. Let it transform us. We thank you, Lord. We welcome you here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. This is one of those stories that's really easy to overlook. We look at it, we read it, and it's simple, right? There's this blind guy, Jesus heals him, boom, story over. But there's two interesting things that occur in this story that help us learn how to listen. First, consider what's happening, all right? Step back for a moment and look at the background. Jesus is making his way to Jericho. He's on the road, he's going to Jericho. He's going somewhere. And there's a crowd of people surrounding him. You know, we just had the story right before it of, of uh, Zacharias, uh, the tax collector, getting saved. We, we have this, this uh, all kinds of thing. or I'm sorry, it's about to happen. Uh, you see the, 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 all kinds of stuff happening. And so there's chaos everywhere. There's noise. There's commotion. And in the midst of this, there's a beggar who happens to be blind. Who's crying out. Now, Jesus wasn't 
planning to go and heal somebody that day. That wasn't, the story doesn't tell us that Jesus was on the road looking for someone to heal, and he had his eyes out looking for whomever he could minister to. No, the story tells us he was going to Jericho. He had plans. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the chaos, the blind beggar is crying out to him. Now the crowd doesn't think much of him, so much so that they tell him to be quiet. They push him away. They're probably embarrassed by him. Oh. But in the midst of that, Jesus hears him and he stops. He allows himself to be interrupted. And that's the first lesson for us. We need to allow ourselves to be interrupted. There are people all around us who are wanting to be heard. They're literally dying to be heard. But our lives are so crazy. There's so much to get done. Who has time just to stop and listen to someone? I was working in my backyard yesterday. And I was trying to, to fix something and I was busy in a project. And all of a sudden I saw my neighbor pop out and he was chasing after some dogs. And I went just, I just waved to say hi. That's all I wanted. It was just a hi. Be polite. I don't have time for a conversation. I'm working on something here. That's how many of us look at our lives. We don't have time just to sit and listen. But Jesus did. So we need to find that time too. We need to be willing to be interrupted. I'm an introvert. I've shared that a million times. I don't do small talk well. I do it really poorly. Worst thing that could possibly happen to me is being in a grocery store and seeing someone that I haven't seen in a while that I know. Or even someone that I have seen in a while that I know. Because that's going to require small talk. And my wife is probably not with me to like rescue me from this moment. You ever be in a grocery store and like go the other direction just because you didn't want to have a conversation? Not because you were mad at the person or because you don't like the person. It was just like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Interrupted is about taking time for that conversation. Last week, when we, we prayed about those people, and one of the things we all prayed for was for divine appointments. What do you think divine appointments are? They're interruptions. They're when God does something to interrupt your day because He wants to do something in that moment. And if we don't allow ourselves to be interrupted, we will not allow ourselves to step into what God is doing to go into those appointments that He's made for us. So the first thing we need to learn is how to be interrupted. Jesus does one more thing here. Notice what happens in verse 40. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Let's be honest. This question makes no sense. Absolutely no sense, right? I mean, the guy's blind. What do you think he wants? Isn't that how most of us would look at this, right? 
we have eyes. We can clearly see the situation. We know what the problem is. He's blind. He wants to be healed. Go heal him. But Jesus approaches the situation differently. Even though it may be obvious what the problem was, Jesus doesn't assume what the problem was. He asked a question and he listened. And that's the next challenge for us. We need to not assume to know what the problem is, but instead ask questions and just listen to people. Think back to my IT story. Where did my frustration come from? Was it because the, the internet wasn't working? Was it because they couldn't do what I wanted them to do? No, it was because the guy wouldn't listen to me. He assumed that I was just foolish. And the way to fix it would be to throw away all my smart bulbs. He didn't bother to ask me why we were doing it or what our setup looked like. It was just something out of his grid he decided was wrong. And that's what we tend to do with other people. We assume. We assume we know what the problem is. We assume we know their story. We assume they're looking for us to do something. We assume... We know the answer. Most of the time, people aren't looking for answers or fixes. They're just wanting to be heard. I asked Cindy uh, today to share something with you guys. Um, the story that brought tears to my eyes. So. So um, some of you may know that I work um, part-time as a hospice chaplain. Um, and so I've got about 20 patients right now that I see all over DeKalb County and Boone County on a weekly or bi-weekly or, or monthly basis. Um, and my job is to be a spiritual presence to them and their families and um, in the hospice, they actually call chaplaincy a discipline. And they call nursing a discipline. And they call uh, social work a discipline. And they call music therapy and massage therapy disciplines. And they call CNAs a discipline. Which kind of struck me funny the first time I had heard that because I'm new to the hospice world. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that's really true. We have to be disciplined. We have to be learned in what we do. And my job as a chaplain is to engage patients in the telling of their life stories and recollections in order for them to um, have like a spiritual wholeness or to have peace in their lives before they die. And I meet with them, some of them, months before they die, some of them weeks before they die, and some of them hours before the Lord takes them. And as a discipline, I'm not allowed to proselytize. I'm not allowed to force my faith on anybody. I have to meet them right where they're at, and I have to listen. I get to listen to their hopes, to their dreams. I hear their fears, their spiritual concerns, and their confessions. And on a recent visit to a patient who, who I've seen several times now, um, He's in an assisted living facility. Um, I was really moved by an opportunity that the Lord gave me. 
Now, this particular uh, gentleman is a World War II vet who just recently turned 97 years old. He has seen a lot, and he has a lot of stories. Uh, He's a believer in God. He believes in the afterlife, and he lost his wife a year or two ago. But he still has a family full of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he was raised in the Catholic faith. But he has a little bit of fear of the Lord and what's to come. And having grown up Catholic, I can understand his background. But I have to have a conversation with him from a Catholic point of view. Um, Only as far as he'll allow me to go. Because my job is not to force myself, like I said, on them. And so his view of God the Father is that God is angry. And he doesn't know how he's going to end up after he dies. He hopes he is with the Lord because he's lived a good life. But that's a hope, and there's some uncertainty wrapped up in that. And so I've spent the last several appointments hearing all about World War II, hearing all about his family, his children, his grandchildren, his wife, who recently passed away. I've looked through his photo albums with him. And I've listened to him as he shared several stories with me, usually the same stories over and over and over again. I know his life pretty well from what he's allowed me to to hear. So on one particular day, I came in to see him, and we sat down and we started with all our usual things. And I said, so what's going on in your life today? And he says, well, I want to tell you a story. I said, oh, okay. So I sat back and relaxed and waited for him to speak. And it took him a little while to formulate his words, which was not characteristic of him. He's usually right in there. Well, he was a pilot in the Air Force. Well, he was an airman, I should say, in the Army. He wasn't in the Air Force, because I guess in World War II it was a little different. And he was recruited very early. He was recruited when he was 16. And they let him in because he was tall and they thought he was 18 and went through boot camp and everything. But one day, um, he was told that he had to fly over the enemy's line in an industrial area and drop a bomb from his aircraft. That's what he trained for. And his commanding officers told him that the factories were full of weapons, and his mission was to be swift. Get up, drop it, get down. And when he got over the designated area where he was supposed to drop that bomb, and he could see bombs falling from the other aircraft that he was flying with, he looked down from his aircraft and saw men, women, and children running out of those factories, trying to run for their lives. And it was the children that got him. And he sat there, and for a split second, he contemplated, do I do it? Do I not do it? What if that was my mom and my brother or my sister or my father running out of that factory? Well, war is ugly, and I'm sad to say that he decided to carry out his mission. And he, he was in tears. Oh, I wasn't going to get upset. He was in tears as he told me this story because he's been walking around for 70-plus years with the guilt and shame knowing that he took people's lives that day. So as we talked about what it meant to follow orders, and he allowed me to open up God's word, and we talked about authority, and we talked about God as a loving father, 
He allowed me to bring him to a place of confession and forgiveness. That was so beautiful, you guys. And this would have never, ever happened if I had not taken the time to stop and listen to him. Not only that day, but all the days prior to that. You know, I walked in there thinking, oh, more war stories today. Okay, yeah, I know you were recruited when you were six, you know. And all this stuff is going through my head. But as I sat here listening to this man, what a sacred moment that was for him to be able to share that. And he said, you know, I've never told this story to anybody, not even my wife. My wife and my children never know that that happened that day. And I've carried this for so long. And it feels so good just to let it out. Can you imagine? All he wanted to do was to be heard and to let go of that pain before he dies. He wanted to share the story so that it wouldn't die with him. Because he expressed to me that he had lived so long and he had such a good life that his heart was to share his life with others. He shares his life with the volunteers who go in. He shares it with me. He shares it with the nurses. Because he wants to be remembered, and he wants to be heard. And if I hadn't made myself available to just be quiet and listen to his story, he'd still be struggling with the guilt of that awful event. And what God keeps reminding me about is that listening to others is so important. It's so important, you guys. People need to be heard. When I got in the pastorate, there was a part of this ministry that I never knew existed until a few years down the road. And it's what I call the ministry of presence. Being present. As a pastor, I find myself at people's. Uh, I'm in, invited into people's lives at their absolute highs and their absolute lows. And nine times out of ten, I have nothing to say. There's nothing I can say to make things better. But the Lord puts there. Not because we have the magic word, but because we can be present. There's a treasure in people's lives. There's a treasure that the Lord wants us to experience. And it, it happens when we're present. When we take the time and we listen. We listen. That's why after we pray for people, we need to invite our, open up our lives to be able to sit and listen to people. Not tell them what their issues are, but listen to them. If you really want to bless those around you, we need to imitate Jesus. It's a challenge not to just hear the words they say, but to really listen to them. To put down our phones, to turn off our computers, to slow the busyness of life. Just give them their full attention. So how do we listen? Let me give you coaching tips, one-on-one. Things they taught us. Taught me while I was being trained for this. First of all, pay attention. Remove distractions. I love this thing. I hate this thing. 
It's one of them smart watches. My daughter gave it to me. I swear I wasn't going to buy one, but she gave me one. I love it because when I'm refereeing and there's lightning in the distance, my watch goes off and says lightning, and I can stop the game. It's awesome for things like that, okay? It's terrible when I'm talking with someone and all of a sudden it bings and it says, stand up. Or this is a mindfulness moment. And all of a sudden I, I lose my concentration and I can't see them. Turn off your phone. Turn off your watch. Turn off the distractions around you. I've, I've been in places with people when they wanted to share something with me and I looked at them and I said, I can't do this here. We need to move because there's too much going on around me. Never take me to a sports bar to have a serious conversation, okay? That's like crack on the TV everywhere. Pay attention. Remove distractions. Don't finish people's thoughts or correct them. Allow for silence. Silence is powerful. Second, ask open-ended questions. So, I don't know if you guys know the difference between an open-ended question and a closed-ended question, but an open-ended question or closed question basically could be answered with a yes or no or a single word answer. Do you want to go out tonight? No. Conversation over. What do you want to do tonight? No. That doesn't work. You see, you have to actually have a conversation. Learn to ask open-ended questions in conversations. Third, this is a hard one. Withhold judgment. People are going to tell you things that you're going to question. Wait. Just wait. Let them talk it out. Wait before you respond. I've heard some of the craziest things. And then all of a sudden, the person kind of brings it back around. I've heard people confess like terrible sins, then talk about what the Lord has done to, to change them. I've heard people tell me things that, that I just can't grasp. And, but they do. So withhold judgment. Withhold judgment. I'm not saying, you know, affirm everything. Just... Wait. Wait to see what the Lord is doing. Fourth, reflect. Person tells you something, then do this. So what I'm hearing you say is this. That seems like a goofy response, but when you do that, the person can stop and go, no, no, no. What I, re what I mean is this. And so, summarize what you've heard to them and say, okay, if I'm understanding you, you're saying this, 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 and this, right? And so this is, this is bothering you? No, 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 no. It allows them to, to clarify themselves, to get understanding. Ask for clarification. So what do you mean by that? You know? You use this word a lot. What do you mean by that? Finally, this is where you end. Ask them what they want you to do. 
Don't just assume you know what they want you to do. Ask them. How can I help? Oh, I don't need help. I just want to get this off my chest. Most people aren't looking for answers. They're not looking for solutions. They're not looking for help. They're just looking for someone to listen to them. So, you had homework last week. I'm going to give you homework this week. If you weren't here last week, there are note cards back on the, on the soundboard table. We were supposed to, you were supposed to write three people down that you were going to pray for that needed the Lord. And they needed to be three people who you could possibly actually interact with. Right, so it, it wasn't supposed to be like, you know, like Putin. I'm going to pray for Putin, all right? You're not going to run into Putin at Walmart, all right? It ain't going to happen. People that, that you actually can have a relation, that you relate, have a relationship with, that you'll cro- cross paths with, right? Now, I want you to, those three people, as you pray for them, ask the Lord this week for a divine appointment. You don't have to pick who it is. You say, Lord, these three people that I've been praying for, give me a divine appointment this week. And when it happens, be interrupted. Allow yourself to be interrupted. And then look at those five steps above to actively listen to them. Remove distractions. Be curious. Ask open-ended questions. Withhold judgment. Reflect. And listen. Just listen. One of the things that I have learned in life for a coach, the most important thing for a coach, and I think this is the most important thing for all of us, for all of us, is simply to be curious. Just be curious. Don't feel like you need to tell them your story. That'll come later. Wait and hear theirs. When we take the time to listen and get to know someone, that's when people around us truly feel loved and blessed. And as we build those relationships, and that's what we're doing right now, that's when the Lord can begin to move. And that's when we can begin to to do the things that God has called us to do. That's when we can begin to to follow the Great Commission. After we pray, it takes time to listen. Let's stand and pray.